ಕಂಸಚಾಣುರಮರ್ದನಂ ದೇವಕೀ ಪರಮಂದಂ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ವಂದೇ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು ಸೊ ವಿ ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ಸ್ಟಾರ್ಟೆಡ್ ದಿ ಸೆಕೆಂಡ್ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಭಗವದ್ಗೀತಾ ಶ್ರೀ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಈಸ್ ಟೀಚಿಂಗ್ ಆತ್ಮತತ್ವ ದಿ ನೇಚರ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ಹೂ ಆಮ್ ಐ ವಾಟ್ ಆಮ್ ಐ ರಿಯಲಿ ದಿ ಸ್ಪಿರಿಚುವಲ್ ಟ್ರೂತ್ ಅಬೌಟ್ ಅವರ್ ಸೆಲ್ಸ್ ಈಸ್ ಐ ವುಡ್ ಸೇ ದ ಸೆಂಟ್ರಲ್ ಟೀಚಿಂಗ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಭಗವದ್ಗೀತಾ ದೇ ಆರ್ ಮೆನಿ ವಂಡರ್ಫುಲ್ ಥಿಂಗ್ಸ್ ವಿಚ್ ಶ್ರೀ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ವಿಲ್ ಟಾಕ್ ಅಬೌಟ್ ಇನ್ ದ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ಸ್ ಅಹೆಡ್ ಹಿಲ್ ಟಾಕ್ ಅಬೌಟ್ ಕರ್ಮ ಯೋಗ ಹಿ ವಿಲ್ ಟಾಕ್ ಅಬೌಟ್ ದ ನೇಚರ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಲಿಬರೇಟೆಡ್ ಪರ್ಸನ್ ಅಬೌಟ್ ಭಕ್ತಿ ಅಬೌಟ್ ಈಶ್ವರ ಸಗುಣ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮನ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಸೋ ಆನ್ ಮೆನಿ ಮೆನಿ ಥಿಂಗ್ಸ್ ಮೆನಿ ಮೆನಿ ಥಿಂಗ್ಸ್ ವಿಲ್ ಬಿ ಡಿಸ್ಕಸ್ಡ್ ಬಟ್ ವಾಟ್ ಟೈಸ್ ಇಟ್ ಆಲ್ ಟುಗೆದರ್ ಇಸ್ ಅಲ್ಟಿಮೇಟ್ಲಿ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ರಿಯಲೈಸೇಷನ್ ಎನ್ಲೈಟನ್ಮೆಂಟ್ ಅಬೌಟ್ ಹೂ ವಿ ಆರ್ ವಾಟ್ ವಿ ಆರ್ ದಿಸ್ ನೇಚರ್ ಆಫ್ ದ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ಶ್ರೀ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಗೆಟ್ಸ್ ಡಿರೆಕ್ಟ್ಲಿ ಟು ದ ಪಾಯಿಂಟ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಹಿ ಹ್ಯಾಸ್ ಸ್ಟಾರ್ಟೆಡ್ ಟೀಚಿಂಗ್ ದಿಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದಿಸ್ ಟೀಚಿಂಗ್ ವಿಲ್ ಗೋ ಆನ್ ಅಪ್ ಟು ದ ಟ್ವೆಂಟಿ ಫಿಫ್ತ್ ವರ್ಸ್ ವಿಚ್ ಇಸ್ ವಿ ಆರ್ ಗೋಯಿಂಗ್ ಟು ಕಂಪ್ಲೀಟ್ ಟುಡೇ ಸೊ ವಿ ವೇರ್ ಆನ್ ದೀಸ್ ಆರ್ ವೆರಿ ವೆಲ್ ನೋನ್ ವರ್ಸಸ್ ಸ್ಪೆಷಲಿ ಇನ್ ಇಂಡಿಯಾ ಆಲ್ಮೋಸ್ಟ್ ಎವ್ರಿಬಡಿ ಹ್ಯಾಸ್ ಹರ್ಡ್ ದೆಮ್ ಟ್ವೆಂಟಿ ಸೆಕೆಂಡ್ ವರ್ಸ್ ವಿ ವೇರ್ ಆನ್ ದ ಟ್ವೆಂಟಿ ಸೆಕೆಂಡ್ ವರ್ಸ್ ವಿ ವೇರ್ ಡೂಯಿಂಗ್ ಇಟ್ ವಾಸಿ ಜೀರ್ಣಾಹಾಯ ನವಾನಿ ಗೃಹಾತಿ ನರೋಪರಾಣಿ ತಥಾಶರೀರಾಣಿ ವಿಹಾಯ ಜೀರ್ಣಾನ್ ಅನ್ಯಾನಿ ಸಂಯಾತಿ ನವಾನಿ ದೇಹಿ ವೆರಿ ವೆಲ್ ನೋನ್ ವರ್ಸ್ ವೇರ್ ಶ್ರೀಕೃಷ್ಣ ಸೇಸ್ ಜಸ್ಟ್ ಆಸ್ ಅ ಪರ್ಸನ್ ಗಿವ್ಸ್ ಅಪ್ ವರ್ನ್ ಔಟ್ ಕ್ಲೋತ್ಸ್ ಕ್ಲೋತ್ಸ್ ವಿಚ್ ಆರ್ ಓಲ್ಡ್ ಟಾರ್ನ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಪುಟ್ಸ್ ಆನ್ ಅ ನ್ಯೂ ಸೂಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಕ್ಲೋತ್ಸ್ ಸೋ ಡಸ್ the embodied self give up a, a give up these bodies which wear out so an old worn out damaged body is left and then the soul goes on to other lives other bodies this is a general idea and last time i mentioned from the vedantic perspective what do you mean by body a little in depth analysis so we speak of three bodies um briefly speaking three bodies one is this one the physical body the second one is what is called the subtle body and the third one is what is called the causal body so physical body we are all aware of the one which you you see which is sitting right here which everybody else can see so that is called sthula sharira in sanskrit physical body gross body subtle body if you say what do, i can't see any subtle body what kind of subtle body how why do i believe in it you actually we all of us we experience the subtle body all the time we are experiencing it when you look inwards thoughts feelings emotions uh, ideas memories desires so these are all part of the subtle body sukshma sharira and last time i mentioned the subtle body in different texts has different uh, classifications 19 parts somewhere it is said somewhere 17 parts or whatever so subtle body and the causal body is a more technical matter philosophical matter uh, where it is basically agyan or ignorance 
which veils the truth about ourselves and we really are beyond the three bodies imagine three layers or shells one after the other the causal body this the subtle body and the uh, gross body now why am i saying this when sri krishna says that at death the body is given up like a worn out suit of clothes which body the gross body the physical body sthula sharira this one quite obviously this one dies but not the subtle body more or less all schools of hinduism they accept that the subtle body continues sukshma sharira continues and the causal body too continues causal body we need not bother about too much here right now the sukshma sharira goes on so it goes from this body to other worlds and then is reborn again in other bodies how why for that we have to go into the law of karma recently we had a discussion in in the rubin museum karma and genetics <laughs> so karma karma is a very popular word in the united states now in the west but the law of karma causality determines what kind of bodies we'll get where we'll be born and what will happen to us in those lives so new physical bodies we get but the subtle body continues sukshma sharira and uh, the causal body too what about the atman the self us the real the spiritual self that is always there that is eternal of course but it does not transmigrate when you're talking from the point of view of advaita vedanta there is only one atman one pure consciousness so that does not go transmigration means go from body to body it always is in its light all this goes on in it lends existence to all of this but what happens is because of ignorance because of not knowing ourselves to be such we identify ourselves with the with the subtle body this the atman identified with the subtle body is called jiva jiva means the sentient individual sentient being identified means limited by not knowing our true selves number 1 number two thinking ourselves to be that subtle body so this is this jiva is the one which goes from world to world this is the one which is born in various physical bodies this is the one which um, suffers and enjoys this is the one which is which is a believer or a non believer this is the one which tries to uh, become spiritual so this jiva in reality the atman ever free atman but under the spell of ignorance this jiva so this is the basic conception according to advaita vedanta now another point here which we should understand is death is the death of the physical body so that is that is the thing we should keep in mind what is death death is basically destruction of the physical body and the continuance of the subtle body from world to world from from life to life into other other bodies and guided by the law of karma so this is the basic idea about um, death in vedanta so very beautiful uh, metaphor of change of clothes as easy as that <laughs> changing clothes now moving forward 23rd verse come there's space here 
नैनम चिंदी शस्त्राणी नैनम चिंदी शस्त्राणी नैनम दहति पावक नैनम दहति पावक न चैनम क्लेदयंत्यापो न चैनम क्लेदयंत्यापो न शोषयति मारुत न शोषयति मारुत weapons do not cut it fire does not burn it water also does not uh, moisten it and the wind does not dry it what is he talking about the body no the atman the body is affected by all of this the body can be damaged by all of these the body can be cut by weapons it can be um burnt by fire uh, it can be dissolved or drowned in water and um it can be dehydrated it's so dried by air um you might think what why is that such a terrible thing it, it can is one of the quickest ways to kill the body actually to dehydrate it. it's mostly water this body now the body obviously these are the effects which it can have on the body the five elements note what it the way it has been put weapons do not cut it weapons are made of the earth element hmm? weapons are made of the earth element the fire does not the other elements are very clear fire water air so except space all the other elements have been mentioned here the elements do not affect it the elements do not affect what the atman the elements do not affect the atman they cannot destroy it there's a little bit of philosophical um, uh, you know a, a, a principle involved here how is destruction understood in vedanta how is creation understood in vedanta how is destruction understood in vedanta philosophically speaking creation or srishti is the movement from cause to effect so from clay if you make a pot you you say we have created a pot and destruction is when the effect loses its name and form and goes back to the cause i'll repeat again cause to effect is the fancy philosophical way of saying creation from effect back to cause by cause i mean material cause upadana karana from effect back to cause is what is called destruction say the case of a pot so when you you fashion a pot out of clay you see i've created or a potter has created a pot but basically it's the 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 material cause clay which now has got a new name and form and you're calling it pot the name is pot and at a particular form and it has certain new use which you couldn't have done with with clay but if you break it smash it to bits it goes back to pieces of clay so from um, effect effect is pot back to the cause clay we say pot is destroyed now the principle is this the principle is this the effect cannot destroy the cause no matter what the pot cannot destroy the clay because the pot's very existence depends on the clay pot cannot affect the clay but the clay can destroy the pot in what sense clay can reabsorb the pot into itself if you think of the waves in the water 
The waves are appearances in, uh, in the ocean, water. Water alone appears as waves. So water is the material cause and waves, waves are the effect. So when you say waves are created, it's nothing other than water, the cause appearing as waves. What is creation? Water appearing as waves or water forming into waves. What is the destruction of the wave? The wave going back into water from effect to cause. Now the wave can't do anything to water, but the water can reabsorb the wave into itself. So here, in the Vedantic cosmology, from the Atman, through its power, Maya, are, comes the five elements. Akasha, Vayu, Agni, Apa, Prithivi. The uh, space, air, fire, water and earth. The five primordial elements in the, our ancient cosmology. Taittiriya Upanishad. It says, Tasmad Etasmad Atmana. From this very Atman, Akasha Sambhuta. Akasha was manifested. Akashad Vayu, Vayur Agni, Agnir Apa, Adbhya Prithivi. From Vayu comes, uh, from Akasha, from space comes air, from the air comes fire, from the fire comes uh, water, and the, from the water comes earth. Actually a causal ch uh, chain. Now, notice, the cause cannot, the effect cannot affect the cause, uh, the effect cannot do anything to the cause. So, earth, water, space, uh, earth, water, fire, air, none of them can affect space, because space is prior to all of them. Notice it in, in um, you know, I've noticed when a body is burnt, I've seen it in India, a dead body is burnt. So, the fire dissolves, it, it burns up the body into ashes. The water content in the body, there's a lot of water in the body, it vaporizes. The fire itself is burnt out when, when the fuel is extinguished. Uh, and the air becomes hot around it. You can't come close to it. It becomes hot. And yet, after everything is over, space remains exactly the same. It's neither burnt, nor vaporized, nor extinguished, nor, uh, nor even heated. Space doesn't get heated. It's the air in the space which gets heated. So these, the point I'm making is, these elements, earth, water, fire, air, they can't do anything to space itself. What to speak of the Atman, which is prior to space in this, in this sequence? Effect cannot harm the cause. So these four elements, they cannot harm their primordial cause space, let alone its um, uh, antecedent, which is the Atman. So the Atman cannot be affected by the elements. He puts it very, because the context is the Kurukshetra war, so he uses the language of warfare and says that body can be cut by weapons. But the real self, the spiritual self, is not injured by weapons. Nor can it be burned by fire, nor drowned by uh, water, nor indeed uh, dehydrated by air. 24. Achedyoyam adayoyam Achedyoyam adayoyam Akledyo ashoshyayevacha Akledyo ashoshyayevacha Nitya 
ನಿತ್ಯಸ್ಥಾನು ನಿತ್ಯಸ್ಥಾನು ಅಚಲೋಯ ಸನಾತನ ಅಚಲೋಯ ಸನಾತನ ದ ಫಸ್ಟ್ ಲೈನ್ ಇಸ್ ಅ ರಿಪಿಟೇಷನ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಟ್ವೆಂಟಿ ಥರ್ಡ್ ವರ್ಸ್ ಸೊ ಇಟ್ ಸೇಸ್ ದಿಸ್ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ದಿ ಆತ್ಮನ್ ಕೆನಾಟ್ ಬಿ ಕಟ್ ಅಚೇದ್ಯ ಅಯಂ ಆತ್ಮ ಅಚೇದ್ಯು ಅಯಂ ಮೀನ್ಸ್ ಅಯಂ ಆತ್ಮ ದಿಸ್ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ಇಟ್ ಕೆನಾಟ್ ಬಿ ಕಟ್ ಔರ್ ಕ್ಲೀವ್ಡ್ ಬೈ ವೆಪನ್ಸ್ ಅದಾಹ್ಯೋ ಅಯಂ ದಿಸ್ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ಕೆನಾಟ್ ಬಿ ಬರ್ನ್ಡ್ ಬೈ ಫಾಯರ್ ಅಕ್ಲೇದ್ಯ ದಿಸ್ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ಕೆನಾಟ್ ಬಿ ಡಿಸಾಲ್ವ್ಡ್ ಬೈ ಬೈ ವಾಟರ್ ಅಶೋಷ್ಯ ದಿಸ್ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ಕೆನಾಟ್ ಬಿ ಡಿಹೈಡ್ರೇಟೆಡ್ ಬೈ ಏರ್ ಜಸ್ಟ್ ಲೈಕ್ ವಾಟ್ ಕ್ಯಾನ್ ಬಿ ಕಟ್ ಬರ್ನ್ಡ್ ಡ್ರೌಂಡ್ ಆರ್ ಡಿಹೈಡ್ರೇಟೆಡ್ ದ ಬಾಡಿ ಡೋಂಟ್ ಸೀಮ್ ಟು ಬಿ ವೆರಿ ಕಾನ್ಫಿಡೆಂಟ್ unless you have superman's body or something like that uh, the body can can be damaged or destroyed by these elements but the self cannot be it's a re- clear repetition of what was just said in the 23rd verse here is a point repetition in fact in sanskrit literature punarukti there is it's called a dosha a, a, a fault you should not repeat the same thing again and again but in most great spiritual t- texts teachings you will find plenty of repetition i think it was ridai who went to sri ramakrishna and said uncle you say the same things people keep why will people keep coming to you if you keep repeating the same thing you say something new once in a while and sri ramakrishna scolds ridai he says you rascal these are my words i'll tell them a thousand times if i want to what's it to you like a little boy he says these are my words these are my things i'll tell a thousand times what's it to you now clearly krishna has repeated it here but um in the commentary by shankaracharya he points out that this is not a fault why is it re- uh, repeated it, the he says the the matter is so subtle this atma tattva is so subtle and shri krishna has this great eagerness desire that we may all be saved for our welfare uh, shri krishna wants to explain it in many ways so, uh, shankaracharya says somewhere with different words sometimes using different metaphors shri krishna is telling the same thing so that if you can explain the same thing in multiple ways maybe we'll get it some way will work for somebody and some way will work for somebody else one swami vivekananda was teaching and um, somebody said in in the audience said swami ji i like you i like it uh, very much what you said and swami said yes so it is for you and somebody said it i didn't really make an impression upon me this particular thing you said then it's not for you <laughs> so um, repetition is not a fault in these teachings um, in the teachings of the great great masters because they are doing it for our benefit that's why different upanishads the bhagavad gita um other great texts written by the great spiritual masters not only in hinduism in all religions you will find more or less a few core teachings but presented in extraordinarily different ways with wonderful examples stories you know and so on so this is the, that's the first line then the um second line is important ನಿತ್ಯ ಸರ್ವಗತಸ್ಥಾಣು ಅಚಲೋಯಂ ಸನಾತನ ನಿತ್ಯ ಮೀನ್ಸ್ ಇಟರ್ನಲ್ 
this self, see, in the first verse, it was uh, a negative, a series of negatives. This cannot be done to the self. What, what, what can destroy the body cannot destroy the self. Hence, it is nitya, eternal. It, because it cannot be destroyed, it is eternal. Eternal means not limited by time. There was never a time when this the self did not, Atman did not exist. There will never come a time when this Atman will not exist. Not limited by time also means there was never a time when this Atman was born or created. Body is born. The body is born. There is never a time when the Atman is going to die or be destroyed. The body will be destroyed. Why one body? Many bodies will be destroyed. So Nitya, not limited in time. Then the second one. Sarvagata, all-pervading. All-pervading means not limited in space. Not limited in space. There are two points I would like to make here. When we say not limited in space, it sounds very philosophical. Oh, so there is some self which is not limited in space. But the way Sri Krishna presents it here, Sarvagata, pervading everything. Sarva means everything. Pervading everything. So when we talk about the Atman, it sounds very abstract. Some spiritual self, some pure consciousness, something. So no, Sarvagataha. This Atman is present in everything. Which everything? Here. Right now. What you are experiencing as samsara, as this world. Truly speaking, the Atman, that supreme spiritual reality, pervades everything. Your own real self pervades everything. Sarvagata means pervading all this. And the second thing is uh, that Sarvagata also means, see normally when we think of ourselves, the word is Dehagata. Um, We think of ourselves as being in this body. As being in this body. And Sarvagata means not just in this body, but in everything. So our typical way of understanding ourselves is Dehagata, this body. He is contradicting this by saying Sarvagata in all bodies, in, in everything. So the Atman is in everything. Sthanu. Um, sthanu means, you know, immovable, like a, um, unchanging, like a pillar. Literally, Sthanu is actually a pillar. So unchanging like a pillar. Since it is not subject to change over time, it is not limited by time, it is eternal, Additionally, not a changing eternal. A river, for example, continuously flows. But at every moment, it's a different water particles which are flowing past it. It's not like that. Samsara continuously flows. Atman is not a continuous flow. It is an unchanging eternity. So, sthanu. Not limited by time. Since it's not limited by space, it, and it pervades everything, that which pervades everything cannot move from one place to another place. Achala. Achala. Achala means moving. Achala, motionless. It is that, it is this eternal, all pervasive, unchanging, still, serene awareness. Sanatanaha. Sanatanaha literally means eternal also. Here it liter- the specific term sanatana means not produced from an effect, some, uh, not produced from a cause. Something like a seed gives rise to a tree. 
this atman is not produced by anything else if you ask what is the cause of the atman no no cause it is the cause of all causes it is the the primordial being it is being itself so sanatana in fact um, the name for hinduism is sanatana sanatana dharma eternal religion eternal in the sense not in the sense that it's a religion which is um, going to last for a very long time eternal in the sense that the principles which are contained in the religion they are the very stuff of religion wherever there is religion this must be there basically religion has two components one is what i what i might call the lower religion lower religion in what sense a wise way of living in samsara ethics morals uh, a wise way of living in this world in modern world we might say an eco-friendly sustainable way of living in this world all that comes in that and that's what i call conventional religion and every religion must teach that it's a foundation of in fact that's the boon of religion to civilization our civilizations are basically based on uh, ethics and morals drawn from our religious traditions so that's one part of it but that's not really all of it nor is it the most important part the most important part is the higher religion spirituality that which en- enables us not only to live wisely in samsara but enables us to transcend samsara a, f- a final release from samsara moksha nirvana salvation every every religion uh, has a term for this the final goal of spirituality tra- to overcome suffering dukkha buddhism starts with that everything is dukkha how to overcome dukkha so the higher religion which talks about moksha so dharma is one part and moksha is another part of religion these two together are the sanatana the eternal core of religion that's why it's called sanatana dharma in the veda you find two parts purva the karma kanda karma and upasana and the gyana kanda the the knowledge portion the first part the prior part of the veda which is most of most of it is uh, is uh, concerned with rituals with the fulfillment of desires within the limits of morals and ethics this is the conventional religion part of it it talks about various kinds of vedic rituals which are hardly which are obsolete today which are hardly performed today but that does not mean that part has become obsolete in fact it is the most common type of religion most people take that to be religion whether it's temples or churches or mosques most people go to these places for having a better life a peaceful life let my family be all right let me get peace of mind let my health be all right let my finances be okay let god bless me and my family and my community and my nation and so on so all these worldly goals for which we depend on god also that is the conven- conventional part of religion and most religion is basically that and there's nothing wrong with it nothing wrong with it at all we learn morals ethics from religion nothing wrong with it but there is a higher part of religion god realization nirvana moksha what is the purpose of life who am i really is it possible to completely transcend sorrow so that saints in all religions are concerned with this higher religion spirituality god realization that is the actual purpose of religion so these two parts 
the second part is gyana kanda in the in the upanishads in the vedas the upanishadic texts form the basis of the knowledge portion the the higher religion and bhagavad gita is basically the the message of the upanishads so it's entirely a text of higher religion what today we might call spirituality i don't want to go on more about this but just um one thing i'll quickly mention what is religion good for where did i mention this i was in some some panel somewhere where um the discussion was that how do you get young people to become interested in religion uh, huh in the interfaith itself so we talked about that um but ultimately you see the, the religions in the world especially in this country they're trying to make it modern and answer to problems of society and many religious leaders seem to think yes that's what we should do religion should solve the problems of society today i don't think so in this country especially we become much too responsive to the latest headlines what is they, they will ask especially in california what is your church's view on such and such topic you know which is breaking news on cnn i said why should we have a view on this our view is on an eternal reality very quickly the eternal realities are forgotten and then religion becomes about a host of very good causes very good causes but those causes keep changing every 5 years 10 years nowadays every 5 days so <laughs> uh ultimately religion should not be should religion should play a positive role in every aspect of life definitely but that's not the prime purpose of religion why i'm saying this is uh, in another conference in la uh, i i there were some um leaders of different churches talking about social justice um i raised a question an objection i said as societies become uh, more prosperous more advanced civil society takes hold law abiding as we see ar- uh, in the advanced countries of the west and the other developing countries also slowly it is changing in many places changing for the better you will see society begins to follow all all these uh, norms without the help of religion you no longer re- need religious leaders to tell you to obey the law uh, to be good to be law abiding uh, to be honest it becomes part of civic life there are lots of people in this country in europe for example who are very good very honest very law abiding lot of integrity and have absolutely no interest in religion and that's a, a sign of progress when society internalizes ethics in itself i was in australia a few years ago and uh, they were telling me how it is all, in many respects it's virtually crime free uh, in, in some respects new zealand is almost virtually crime free um corruption free and also to a great extent religion free <laughs> somebody told me that uh, 20 30 40 years ago people were much more religious much more corrupt <laughs> uh, there were many problems in society 
now much less attendance has fallen in different denomination not just one in different religious organizations but the standard of life and public morality has improved now what do you say to that i read a paper on an anthropological paper published by the royal society which says religion basically had um a couple of roles to fulfill one is in ancient times in primitive societies it was a barter kind of religion you have to please god because life is short and uncertain there is disease wild animals enemies and god has to be pleased because to protect you from enemies to protect your children to protect your crops all of this and it's a dangerous kind of life risky life and you keep on holding on to this unseen power so there that kind of religion you will see offerings are continuously made to god prayers are made for protection every religion has this at its core as society became more stable and progressed not so much dangerous risky stable society now religion became the, uh, the which which guarantees stability in society the ethics of marriage of honesty in business you know integrity which keeps society together i'm quoting from that paper so religion became the source of morals and ethics again very important for society but as we go even further and people are moral and ethical by themselves and without any reference to religion so religion is no longer needed for you know life is pretty safe and guaranteed and every uh, law abiding society pretty good one prosperous safe two medical um, treatment is good if your plan is good then so, and and two second morals and ethics a civic society civil society it you people can be very good people without being particularly religious also then what is religion good for if i don't need um, religion to protect me from diseases and uh, attacks by enemies one i don't need religion to teach me how to be good i'm good without religion also then what good is religion it's a huge uh, question unless you address that question this continuous disappearance of people from churches and uh, you know attendance going down i have had so many religious leaders come complaining and uh, worried about it why people are not interested they're not interested because what are you giving them there is something that religion can give the real thing the core of religion is spirituality and it is in these advanced societies where you have a good society a stable society now after all of this also one is not satisfied one is not happy show me who's happy one is not happy then only the religions promise that suffering can be overcome do you see where i'm leading with this the real purpose of religion is transcendence of samsara not a better samsara Sri Ramakrishna would put it in a simple way to Hriday again. He said, "You know, if this samsara of yours were real, I would have paved the roads of Kamarpukur with gold." Kamarpukur is the village he was born, little village in remote Bengal. He says, "If this is the only reality that exists, then I would have worked to improve this one." But this is not the ultimate purpose of religion. So, Sanatana the eternal purpose of religion is god realization swami vivekananda was absolutely clear 
Each soul is potentially divine and the goal is to manifest this divinity within. God realization. You should do it by meditation, do it by knowledge, do it by service, do it by love. One or more or all of these and be free. Spiritual freedom. He doesn't say be good. He doesn't say be stable and happy and prosperous. Be free of, of samsara, he says. And that is the whole of religion. Then he says books, temples, doctrines and churches are secondary details. So, nityaha, eternal, sarvagataha, all-pervading or philosophically not limited by time, not limited by space. Sthanu, unchanging because it's not limited by time. Achala, motionless because it's not limi- it is all-pervading. And... This eternal impersonal principle, Sanatana. Before I go forward, let me just uh, mention this, how we use it in spiritual life. One commentator very beautifully has pointed out these characteristics. Remember, these are your characteristics, characteristics of the spiritual self, of what we are really. Nitya. Nitya means eternal. Now, this commentator, he says, look at the world, samsara. It is non-eternal. It is temporary. It is transient. In the words of Bhagavan Buddha, anityam anityam sarvam anityam. Impermanent, impermanent, indeed all is impermanent. Not only impermanent, he goes on to say, momentary. Kshanikam, kshanikam, sarvam kshanikam. Momentary, momentary, all is momentary. He goes on further to say, shunyam, shunyam, sarvam shunyam. Empty, empty, indeed, all is empty. And therefore, dukkham, dukkham, sarvam dukkham. Suffering, suffering, all is suffering. If you hold on to this world, which is impermanent, Momentary and void, empty, emptiness. Then suffering is, is guaranteed. So notice, the commentator says, notice the nature of the world you live in. It is impermanent. You have to spend some time on it. Impermanent sounds like a very neutral philosophical word. Everybody dies. That's the big, big fact about, about our lives. And Swami Vivekananda put it in his beautiful rhetorical way. He says, everybody dies. Saints die and sinners die. Emperors die and paupers die. The most learned die and the most ignorant die. Everybody dies. Death, you cannot stop death. You cannot stop, stop the death of the physical body. Consider our own lives. Parents and grandparents have gone. Old age, death. Children. Grow up and go away. Neighbors shift and move out. We ourselves move across cities and continents. Change. Our bodies are continuously changing. Getting older. The winds of change are continuously all the time blowing. I was just thinking this particular city. We are this grand city we are living in. Um, John Lennon called it the Rome, verily the Rome of our time, New York, especially Manhattan. 300 years ago, it was a set of scattered settlements. 
around the Hudson River. 300 years before that, dense forests, cold river, few scattered tribes moving on here and there. A few thousand years before that, not even uh, any, probably no human beings either. And in the museum I was seeing, this very place at one time was underwater. If you go back millions of years, huge prehistoric, uh, terrifying underwater monsters floated past here, right here. All gone. The winds of time, they have not stopped blowing. They are blowing, blowing right now. And all that we see, this objective reality, this samsara which we call our, our, our samsara, will be gone like a dream. Buddha further goes on to say, what is this samsara like? He says, a bubble in midstream, a flash of lightning, a phantom in the dark, such indeed is your life. We, it's incredible how deluded we are about our own existence. Kabir's song um, is thinking, in two days this body will be one with the earth. Do din me khaak milega do din. Kahe phirat magruri me. Why do you go around with, the, you know, with so much pride and ego? When I drive past, there's a big cemetery on the way out to, to Queens. You know, on that side you see, the cemetery is full of indispensable fellows. <laughs> this is how you use the term nitya, eternal. This samsara we are living in and every bit of it is transient. Every bit of it, every moment it is, it is it's disappearing in our hands. But don't be afraid. If you just look at that, it, what, what happens is terror seizes you. Terror seizes you. But this is what Sri Krishna is saying. There is an eternal reality which will not perish, which will not die, which will not go away. But it's not here in samsara. It's you. That is nityam. This is how you use the term nityam. Consider in contrast samsara. Use the term nitya, consider in contrast samsara which is anityam. Then use the term sarvagata. Consider the fact that we, our, the first thing we think about ourselves is here I am in this body. And Krishna says, no. You are in everything. Swami Virajanandaji was the president of our order. Very interesting. Uh, I've never seen him, of course, a long time ago. The great Swami. Um, he says in one place, he has a book, Towards the Goal Supreme. Extraordinary book. He was a great sadhaka. So he poured his entire life's spiritual realizations into that little book. Towards the goal supreme. And all that is just full of single sentences. One, two, three, four. Numbered one, two, three, four. So one of them, uh, in one place he says, I don't know if that book or somewhere else. I think that book. This entire universe, including this body, is presented to you at once. So either I am all of it or none of it. What we do is, when I experience this samsara, I say I am this one. This is called in Sanskrit or Hindi, Dehagata. This one. And all of this is not me. This is subject, that is object. And samsara starts for me. 
what Virajananji says and Krishna is saying here, either say, I am all of this. If I am all of this, then all of this is presented to me, the witness consciousness. Or I am none of this. It's like a movie appearing in me. I watch, enjoy, it comes and disappears. Impermanent, transient like a movie. This is how you use the term Sarvagata. See, it's one thing to learn the philosophy behind it. Another thing to apply it immediately in your life. So what he says here is use the contrasts. Krishna says you are Sarvagata. And how do we normally look at ourselves? Dehagata, one body. Sthanu. Everything changes in this world. People change. Bodies change. We are continuously changing. And Krishna says the Atman, unchanging. Not subject to change. Achala. In contrast, you see this word. Achala means immovable. Everything in this world is moving. People are moving. Objects are moving. uh, States, you know, our waking, dreaming, deep sleep, continuously revolving. The earth is moving. The planets are moving. Everything is in motion. Krishna says, you are not in motion. Use this contrast to extricate extricate yourself from the mess you have landed in. So this is the meaning of the 24th verse. 25th verse, Krishna sums it all up. Sums what up? The teaching about the Atman, what he has been doing all along. Abhyaktoyam achintoyam Abhyaktoyam achintoyam Avikaryoyam achyute Avikaryoyam achyute Tasmadevam viditvainam Tasmadevam viditvainam Nanushochitum arhasi Nanushochitum arhasi This self is said to be unmanifest, unthinkable, unchangeable. Therefore, knowing it to be such, you ought not to grieve. Take up the terms. Abhyakta, unmanifest. What does it mean? You, the real you, you are not an object of the senses. This Atman we are talking about. You say, yeah, yeah, I know that. But no, drive it deep into your mind because we keep... Once in a while asking, if it's there, why can't I see it? You can't see it because it cannot be seen. You never ask, why can't I see atoms? And you don't doubt the existence of atoms. Why don't you see atoms? What is the answer? Why don't you see atoms right now? They're too small to see. They're too small to see. So that's why I don't see it. I don't see it. I can't see it, so it doesn't exist. No. The Atman is not an object of the senses. So it cannot be seen. Just because it, so it, because I can't see it, I, can't, I don't say it doesn't exist. It's not an object of the senses. So it cannot be seen. It cannot be seen. It cannot be heard. It cannot be smelt, tasted or touched. The body can be seen. Heard, smelt, tasted, touched. But not the Atman. The subtle body is an object. It cannot be seen, smelt, tasted, touched. But... It's an object to the mind. In the mind, you you notice your thoughts. We notice our feelings, desires, emotions, very clear to us. So these things, the subtle body is clearly an object to the mind. Right? But the Atman is not an object to the mind either. 
Ajintyayam. If you take avyakta, that means unmanifest, not an object to the senses, can't be seen, smelt, heard, uh, heard uh, tasted or touched, one. And achintya, it's not something that can be uh, imagined, um, uh, conceived of uh, or inferred. If you put them together, it means Atman is not an object. Not an object of language, not an object of thought, not an object of senses. But not being an object does not mean it is not does not exist. It exists. It is you. You are not an object. How do I know that I exist? If if I see, how do we know things exist? Only by making them objects of senses or the mind. I know you are here because I see you. You know I am speaking because you hear me. I know 2 plus 2 is 4 not because I see it or hear it, but because I understand it. I know my name is Sarvapriyananda not because I see it or hear it, but because I remember it. Notice this. Understanding, remembering, imagining. These are all objects of subtle body. And there are physical objects are objects of the senses. Now, therefore I know these things. But Atman is none of them, is not, not an object of the senses, not an object of the mind. Then how do I know this Atman exists? Hmm? You are great, Atman taught by Krishna. You are saying, I am not the body, at least I know the body exists, I can see it. You are wonderful Atman, I can't even see it and I am supposed to believe it. And I am supposed to believe I am that. You want me to let go of identification with the body, but then what do I hold on to? They say, the beautiful analogy in the... Uh, Upanishads a caterpillar it goes you know like this on the leaves it goes from one leaf it extends itself catches hold of another leaf then lets go of the other leaf you want me to let go of this leaf let go means at least metaphorically then show me the other leaf to catch hold of where is this Atman you're like you you tell us this Atman is not the object of Pramanas. It is not proved by the, by the sources of knowledge. Pramana means source of knowledge. What are the sources of knowledge? Pratyaksha, sense perception. Eyes, ears, tongue, skin, nose. None of them can reveal the Atman. These are Pratyaksha Pramana, sense perception. What, are, what else are sources of knowledge? There are many things which we know which are not got from um, the from the senses, anumana inference, inference. We get data, and from that we make inference. Entire science is inference. You have a hypothesis, collect data. Data is collected by the senses or instruments which augment the senses, and based on that you make inferences. And we know that we we have enormous scientific knowledge, but it's. The Atman is not an object of inference. Why? We just read Achintya. It's not an object of the mind. Then how do we know that this Atman exists? We know this because Bertrand Russell says that if you, want, if you just have to believe, you know, book says it. The good book says that it exists. It's just believe. He gives um, in his humorous way, sarcastic way, he says, then I might as well believe in a flying teacup. There's a teacup in orbit around there. God is in heaven. The teacup is in heaven also. Why? Because I choose to believe. You choose to believe on flimsy grounds. I also choose to believe on flimsy grounds. 
Hume, David Hume, the great uh, philosopher, he said, you have to have evidence when you make claims. And he says, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Not just ordinary evidence. You must prove it, give extraordinary evidence. Sufficient evidence to prove it. Necessary grounds and sufficient. Necessary reason and sufficient reason. What is that? Like light, we experience, somebody said light, who said light? Or lives of saints, yes. But that's testimony, yes. That's a pretty good, actually, pretty good evidence. Because one source of knowledge for all of us, whether we like it or not, is authority. There are a lot of things we know today, we claim we know it. A lot of the science we know. We did not make the experiments. Data is published and given to us, we take it. That yes, a body of scientists have discovered this, so it must peer-reviewed journal. Huh? So, so it must be, it's tested. Sometimes it turns out to be false. We test it. So we accept it. So lives of saints, yes. The testimony of saints uh, across the world, they have said it. But somebody like, a real skeptic like Bertrand Russell might say, then I am a saint also, and I say it doesn't exist. Then... Our? The Neti Neti process. Yes, but Neti Neti, then you land up with what? We do Neti Neti, not this, not this, and then you land up with? That's the process, yes. The very fact that we are experiencing. Let me ask you. I've given, always given you the example of the eyes. You know about it by now. The very fact that you are, I can see you all is a proof that you exist. So the proof for your existence, what is the source of my knowledge? Eyes. Now, how do I know the eyes exist? Because I cannot see the eyes. Put these together. If you see something, I see that you are seated there, I know you exist here. I cannot see an elephant. If there were an elephant in the room, I would be able to see it. I cannot see an elephant, therefore I know. I know. I can con confidently claim there is no elephant in the room. Now, eyes themselves, I can't see them. I can't see the eyes. Then how can I claim that there are eyes? Because? Because you see. See what? You exist because I see you. Eyes exist because I see what? Anything. I've given that example so many times people, so it gets cliched after some time. Another nice example I came across was, it's an or, um, of an earlier era of course, it says that, so you see a photograph, a beautiful portrait, a photograph. How do you know that the photographer exists? Because photographer is not in the photograph, unless it's a selfie. That's why I said it's an <laughs> old example, before the selfies were invented. But unless it's a selfie, but other than that, in any photograph, how do you know that there is a photographer? It's not there in the photograph. Because the photograph was taken. Uh -huh. uh, nowadays, of course, many things are there. Selfie, timer is there, and so many things are there. Exactly in the same way that you are consciousness, that you exist. Even to raise this question, you must exist. Hmm. More precisely, in Vedanta, this is, uh, follow this carefully. It says it is not revealed by the pramanas, by the sources of knowledge, but all pramanas function in its light. Because you are that consciousness, therefore that consciousness plus mind 
you have experience of thinking desiring loving hating remembering forgetting not mind by itself consciousness plus mind because of that consciousness because of you the consciousness and the eyes you have the conscious experience of seeing you have the conscious experience of hearing smelling tasting touching so all the senses operate the mind operates by its light by your light that is the proof that you exist that you are having this series of conscious experiences what kind of experiences seeing is an experience hearing is an experience activities talking yeah thinking these are experiences because you are that, that because of that consciousness yes All right that's a very good question. She's asking can we call it pure experience? What do you mean by pure experience? How would you distinguish it from impure experience? What does pure and impure pure and impure in this case does not mean good or bad. It means what? What okay let let's go this way. This is a good entry point. What is experience? What's the structure of experience? Any experience what's there when you're experiencing a book? We're seeing a book. subject and object you are there the experiencer and the object is there in your experience subject and object to reduce it to our terms consciousness and its object consciousness and its object now these objects of experience keep changing you can see a book you can see my hand you can see the clock book hand clock they changed but the consciousness which is saw each of them is the same of course using the same instruments eyes but now when you use the instrument called ear your the object of your experience is sound speech music noise different objects but now you are using a different instrument eye is one instrument ear is another instrument but what's common to both of them you the conscious subject huh. similarly with nose or tongue or touch similarly with mind internally when you are not using external instruments internally when you use the mind to remember something to understand a mathematics problem the object of your remembrance or 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 forgetting the of the mathematical problem itself those are objects of the mind but the consciousness is the same the mind is now the instrument so the instruments and their objects keep changing you the conscious subject are common to all of that now every experience is consciousness plus object i am in, including instrument also in it consciousness on one side and instrument and object on the other side this is called experience if you neglect if you do not um concentrate on the object just take the consciousness aspect of every experience consciousness 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 that is pure experience that pure experience is atman in fact one of the beautiful definitions of the ultimate reality of the atman of brahman anubhava matram param brahma consciousness in itself anubhava matram matram means in itself means minus its object if you bring in the object then it is simply consciousness seeing a book hearing some words feeling happy feeling miserable awake dreaming sleeping but in all of them the consciousness itself 
is is the atman anubhava matram param brahma that's why if you ask them practically what is the upshot that's why the yogis what they do is patanjali yogis they try to actually do away with the objects of experience that is called samadhi can you remain absolutely aware and conscious not fall asleep and yet drop all objects so imagine you are there right now suppose you look at this you're looking at the book you are there you're looking at the book now close your eyes if you like you can close your eyes you are not looking at anything maybe just a blankness right right are you still there that means without the functioning of the eyes you still exist right hmm if without the functioning functioning of the eyes i still exist then i the same thing holds if i do not hear smell taste touch none of the senses function will this consciousness still be there yeah now suppose i do not think i do not remember i do not desire i do not hate i do not um do vedanta vichara you know <laughs> vedantic thinking will the consciousness still be there mm. now imagine the blankness of deep sleep just imagine don't go into deep sleep imagine the blankness of deep sleep right now absolutely blank you are not even aware that you are sleeping in that kind of blankness what it it is like to be in deep sleep imagine that and now drop that blankness just just let it go don't do anything else all right don't go into samadhi <laughs> i'm just giving you a taste of what samadhi could be like this is not samadhi don't delude yourself <laughs> not so fast imagine extraordinary calmness nobody else around you sitting in a mountain fastness like a himalayan cave then imagine the world outside the cave has gone and these all of this i'm t- <laughs> telling from personal experience imagine the world outside has gone nothing outside now you close your eyes you can't even see the cave no, nothing comes from the world outside the world has disappeared you have forgotten the world the world has forgotten you now you lose awareness of your body now the thoughts memories desires shut down a serene blankness reigns even this is not it when you are ready drop that blankness i can't say any more drop that blankness let it go what remains not even blankness not even deep sleep one of our swamis he has passed away long ago he was in kerala ishwaranand ji he wrote a poem called midnight sun sun is shining yet it's absolutely the dark of midnight and somebody saw that and said that that only an 
Only an enlightened person, uh, only an enlightened person can write such a poem. Uh, only a Brahma Jnani. Just midnight, no sun, no moon, that's deep sleep. But the sun's shining fully, yet it's midnight. The world drowned in darkness. That sun is your, your real nature. It's always shining. The jnani realizes it even with eyes open in the waking also. Yes, somebody had a question. Kumbhaka happens. In extreme alertness. Have you seen? I've seen in National Geographic this um, uh, cheetah hunting. Just before it bursts out into, into a, and catches an antelope or something. You've seen how still it becomes? I'm sure it stops breathing for a few, a few seconds. That kind of alertness, but that's an alertness of hyperactivity, extreme physical, uh, but that kind of alertness with absolute calmness, that is called sattva. In that state, enlightenment is possible. Not as a cheetah, not saying that. <laughs> All right, let me conclude with um, one note I wanted to give is this. I mentioned it earlier that uh, a few weeks ago I attended um, a discussion, mm, it's called the Philosophy Cafe, where the subject was the five great unsolved problems of philosophy. So this is something that Oxford University put out, press OUP uh, put it out as a, um, I guess they want to encourage it's like a gimmick i mean the five great unsolved all problems are unsolved in philosophy anyway so anyhow but it's interesting what are the five great questions they wanted to discuss it what are the five great questions one uh, the first one was um is there free will second one was what can we know at all question of epistemology skepticism third one was who am i sounds familiar <laughs> The fourth one was, what is death? Death means death of the, for the conscious person, for the person. Not the physical aspect of death, which is of interest to doctors. But for you as a living being, what happens to me at death? That's the question. And then the last one was, what is justice? Now you will see, first four of them are concerned with consciousness. Free will, knowledge, who am I? Of course, death. They're all concerned with consciousness. And I was just thinking, in these verses from 11 to 25, Krishna has given us, Sri Krishna has given us the answers, the Vedantic answers to these five questions. You may agree with it or you may not, but listen to these answers. What are the answers given by Vedanta to these five questions? Let's take it one by one. Um, the, the third one first. Who am I? That is the question actually Krishna is trying to answer. He's saying that you are not the changing body, you are the unchanging consciousness, the self, you are not the body subject to death, uh, birth and death, but you are the unborn, undying consciousness, all-pervading consciousness, Atman, you are Atman, that's the answer to the question, who are you? What you think of yourself, what most of human knowledge thinks of you as, is not the real truth, is not the reality about you. This is the answer given by Vedanta, by Krishna here, one, most important. This is the first 
maybe it's enough if you take this away everything else follows from this second do we have free will krishna has not talked about free will here but you have to derive the answer from this what is the vedantic idea of free will first if you ask do you have free will the first preliminary answer is yes this atman not knowing itself under ignorance identifies itself with a mind and body and says i am the doer or as krishna says here i slay or i am slain in the war we read emerson's poem so first answer is yes i am the doer and the doer means i have free will i can do this way i can do that way and then i set karma into motion and because of karma i do this and i get the result of karma it's only by doing it out of free will that i i deserve these good and bad uh, results that's the first answer preliminary deeper answer no you don't have free will whether it's the vedantic way of putting it that it is god's will alone which acts you only think that you do but it's actually ishwar's will or whether it's modern neuroscience libet experiments and all they're saying that uh, it is the brain which is doing it and you have an illusion of free will the body is doing it the brain and nervous system are are acting and you think i have decided no the brain has just out of courtesy given you a memo we are going to do this and it goes ahead and does it <laughs> the libet benjamin libet experiments actually in neuroscience they prove it of course there are a lot of discussion because the scientist I, deb- I i had debated with in ruben recently he said it he's saying in fact his latest article is about free will he says it's more complex than that but anyway so deeper examination shows that we do not have free will in the gita itself krishna will say one verse is there which he has repeated three times in gita and the verse is in the 13th chapter he says prakrityeva karmani kriyamanani sarvasha yapashyati tathatmanam akartaram shapashyati prakriti alone does everything nature does every action in the world is done by nature once you realize this which means in neuroscience terms brain and nervous system are doing everything the body is doing everything once you realize this then what happens krishna's point is then you realize that you are the non doing self the non agent self akartaram sapashyati he realizes i am the consciousness which is not a doer okay and he krishna has mentioned this verse three times in the bhagavad gita and actually if you look at it practically in our body mind how much of it are we in charge of do you produce the multiple if if you're given charge of a factory producing all the um, biochemicals that your liver is producing uh, how, what a terrible job it would be and that's just one liver uh, one doctor told me it would take a 50 acre factory to produce the va- various kinds of um, biochemicals enzymes and all which are being produced by just your liver uh, suppose you were in charge ceo uh, <clears throat> of the body and all its activities we would be dead in within 30 minutes <laughs> within 15 minutes or 1 minute itself will be dead we'll be overwhelmed by it the enormous amount of activities are going on without any um, involvement any consultation also no cuts involved here then the body the liver the lungs the circulatory systems the um, the the endocrine system then then uh, even the nervous system they're not asking us they know no good this fellow is useless <laughs> don't involve him it's like you're flying in a plane 
if uh, the pilot suddenly says, okay, take over. What will you feel like? That actually happened to me, but anyway, that is a story <laughs> I'm forbidden to tell. <laughs> um, so, what will you feel like? You can't do it. It's too difficult. And we don't do it. So many things are happening. How little of it we are actually in charge of. Akatta, you are not the doer. There's a second answer. Second answer to what? The question of free will. The first answer, yes, we have free will. Second level, deeper answer, no, we don't have free will. Third level answer, final answer, again, yes. But not that we have free will, we have freedom. As Atman, as pure consciousness, Swami Vivekananda says the word term free will is a contradiction in terms. Free will is a contradiction in terms. Will is part of causation. It's not free. So the Atman, you can be free, but you don't have free will. So that's the last answer. And so and there is a whole theory about it. Then what do you do now? You have the appearance of free will. In reality, you don't have free will. An ultimate goal is spiritual freedom. Then what do you do? And the answer is, to, if you are interested in knowing, is that you use the illusion of free will, the appearance of free will, to acknowledge that only God has free will, not us. That means continuously use this so-called free will to surrender unto God. Keep on giving. Giving back unto God what belongs to God. Okay. So this is the question of free will and its answer given by Krishna. Third, can we know anything at all? The question of knowledge. And the answer given by Sri Krishna, again, you have to derive it. Vedanta says, what we know is samsara through our senses and our mind. It's a kind of knowledge, a vevaharika, transactional knowledge, which helps us to live in this world, but it's not knowledge of reality. This is not knowledge of reality. Sri Ramakrishna put, him, put it in his very pithy way. He says, the knowledge of the one is real knowledge. The knowledge of the many is ignorance. Somebody, I think Ayan Maharaj, he, he was quoting um, Kant. Learned ignorance is the end of Kant or Hamilton. Uh, oh, that is in, in the gospel itself. Knowledge, uh, learned ignorance is the end of uh, philosophy and the beginning of religion. So... The Mundaka Upanishad says that Paravidya and Aparavidya. Aparavidya is relative knowledge and Paravidya is knowledge of the transcendent reality. This is Atman. So this is Vedantic um, perspective on knowledge. What can we know? Then uh, what was the fourth question? Um, death. We just discussed it. Death is death of the physical body. It's like changing clothes. The subtle body goes on Atman does not go or come or go anywhere. It is one consciousness, steady and unchanging. You are that unchanging Atman. Steady Atman, not coming and going. In you this game goes on. And ultimately does not go on also. It's an appearance of Maya. And the last one is, uh, if you take up the question of justice, it's the whole question of karma. What in this world, what determines what's going on? Is there ultimately justice or not? We will say yes, in one sense, there is karma is the long run, long term justice. And ultimately, we all get what, what we deserve. So Vivekananda said, good, good, bad, bad, none escape the law. You can escape the law only by enlightenment, by realizing that you are the Atman. So 
this is what sri krishna would say to the five great unsolved problems of philosophy now you don't have to accept it but let us at least consider these as pretty profound deep answers to these five questions very good om shanti 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 hari hi om tat sat श्रीराम कृष्णारूपणमस्तु